Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. The world needs to hear your message and your story, so don't deny the world of that gift within you that the universe has given you. Someone out there needs to hear your story because it will support them in feeling hope, inspired, and even transformed. Do you want to discover how I help get my clients out of their own way, show up, and confidently share their message? I would love to extend an invitation to you to join me in my free masterclass, Start Your Own Podcast from Idea to Implementation, on Wednesday, April 5th at 1 p.m. Eastern. You can find the registry link in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Emma Weaver. She is the founder and owner of Mental Wealth International, an international best-selling author, an ambassador for Evolve Women, a two-times TEDx speaker, and also a TEDx and a Skillin curator, and last but certainly not least, a mother. Welcome, Emma. How are you today? I'm awesome. Thank you so much, Brad. I appreciate being here. And it's an absolute honor for me to have you here. I'm so excited about and looking forward to jumping in and talking about all the things, Emma, and all the beautiful light that you're shining out into the world through the work you do. So with that being said, let's jump in and get started. Now, as mentioned, you hold all of these titles, and that is one hell of a resume and a hell of a lot of hats that you wear, as well as responsibilities. So How on earth do you find the time for all of this and how important is prioritization and organization to you in order to stay on top of things? Yes, it definitely. Um, when you read it out like that, Brad, it sounds like a lot. It does. However, I have, I suppose, created my life by design and I have developed a lovely flow that I am able to do all of those things. So obviously within Mental Wealth International, there's a team. So I have other people that come in and facilitate some of the things that we offer, some of our services as well. But I am very much a person that is organized. I've always been like that. So I would definitely schedule things in advance. My day starts the night before. I take time to make sure (laughs) I know what I'm doing and where I'm at. Just allows a better ease. And then also allows that, like most days, there's a curveball or something happens and a little bit of wriggle room for those things as well, I feel are very important. Love it. So with all of that, I'm very curious with you wearing so many hats and being a serial entrepreneur, what does your morning routine look like? If you start your day the night before, what does your morning routine look like? (laughs) So my morning routine, I suppose my alarm would go off about a quarter to six in the morning. And I do that purposely. And it took me quite a while to get into that routine. And that is just what suits me. It's not for everybody, but that's what suits me. So I will meditate straight away. I'm particularly interested in Joe Dispenza at the moment, although there are other meditations. That's just who I'm into at the moment. (laughs) Yeah. And I meditate straight away. And I also kind of facilitate a book club. So two in the mornings, we would jump on book club from six to seven and talk about um, different books and things like that. And then I do 555. So it's breath work and other meditation and gratitude journaling. And that is online. I do that with a group of people. And then my day starts by 
a nice little cup of tea. I am from <laughs> Ireland. A cup of tea and just look over my diary, know what I have got going ahead for the day. I am quite good at prioritising. And if something doesn't feel right when I get up that morning and I think, look, this is going to be a wee bit of stress, it's not going to work out, I will eliminate it straight away just to make sure. And then I get my kids up and chaos starts trying to get them <laughs> up and out for school. I have a teenager yeah. and a younger child, so and my older daughter lives away. So trying to get them up and out for school. And where I live, it's so funny, Brad, where I live, you have like a five minute window. And if you miss it, you're in traffic for like half an hour. So oh, trying to no. get everybody up and out for that. And then after that, then I take the dog for a walk and then my work day starts then. <laughs> That's one hell of it. It sounds exhausting before you even really get down to work. (laughs) It's good fun too, you know. I love though that you have that accountability group for the journaling and the breath work and all of that. I think that's brilliant. I find that it's very important because life gets busy. So you definitely need, we all definitely need something that will keep us accountable, whether we realize it's accountability or not. But to be part of is something that I would definitely encourage for people. Yeah, for sure. What drives, motivates and inspires you to keep going and excelling at all that you do? I suppose... I know what it's like to be both sides of the coin. I know what it's like to have very little and have to cope with very little. And then I also am fortunate enough, as I said at the start, to be able to build a life that I choose and a life by design. So I suppose just honoring that journey and, you know, recognizing what I'm able to offer people that I might not have known a couple of years ago, especially in the mental health field. I'm a real people person. I enjoy conversations I enjoy you know being in other people's energy as long as the right people and things get there so I am motivated by my purpose and I try to do that passionately to Mm -hmm. support others yeah and so what were you doing for a living before making the transition into the entrepreneurial world Oh, gosh. So I worked, I know, I suppose I worked for 23 years managing mental health services across the Western Trust, which is here in Ireland. It's like a trust area of a couple of different counties. Mm -hmm. And that's all under one health trust. I don't don't know what design different. So I would have managed mental health services and teams all across the trust where people who maybe had have went or realized that they had an issue or mental health issue or indeed a mental health illness and they'd went to their GP and then got referred to a community mental health team and then they've made another referral then to us to support them on their we called it a recovery journey because we believe people can work towards maintaining their life or creating a whole new one, whichever one it is. So I managed lots of teams and lots of services in the mental health field. Okay. So you've been working in mental health for quite some time then. And (laughs) so I want to talk a little bit about your organization, Mental Wealth International. Can you tell us a bit about it, the work you do through the organization and when you founded it? Yeah. So Mental Wealth International, as you say, I founded this organization two and a half years ago and really recognizing that there are some gaps, and I'm going to call it the system or in what's offered to people, that I really felt that if we were able to provide additional support to people, especially in workplaces and gyms, that we would definitely be able to reduce the impact that mental health issues or indeed mental health illness has on people. I don't think 
uh, two or maybe three year waiting list for people to get support is helpful. And I think a lot can happen in that time. So I feel through Mental Wealth International, we offer mental health first aid, which is something that I'm a huge advocate for. I've trained myself. I trained all my teams, all my staff throughout the years. And it really is something that's accessible to everybody. You become a mental health first aider. So Mental Wealth International is trying to create cultures of well-being in the workplaces and gyms by offering mental health first aid training and workshops and really making sure that at that point where people need support at that initial point, it's there for them. I love it. So what is mental health or mental wealth first aid? So a mental health first aid, it's a recognized qualification. So you become a mental health first aider. So the same way as we have first aid. So if you you break your arm or you've got a nosebleed or you cut yourself, there's like a first responder that person that can bandage you up and then seek further support. Well, a mental health first aider is a recognized qualification by way at that first point of contact, or if there's a crisis or an issue that's come up, they're the first responder that will hold space for you, recognize what the mental health issue is and know where to uh, signpost you, where to, where to get you further help in that first instance of need. Excellent. I didn't even know that existed or that yes. was a thing. That's pretty incredible. And how long is the training to become a mental health first aider? It's two days. It's a recognized okay. qualification. It's a, well, there's a one-day one and there's a two-day one. And then that's it. Every three years, then you renew it. So it's similar to okay. first aid, except it's mental health first aid. And the reason why I went down that road is because I genuinely believe it. I've seen the difference. It's like when I worked in managing mental health services, you know, we already had our existing qualifications and our knowledge and all that behind us. But mental health first aid is something that we all went for as well. And it just added something to our confidence and competence whenever we were supporting other people and I remember thinking gosh you know other people need to know about this this needs to be available for other people so it was initially meant to be Mental Wealth Ireland but as soon as I put it out there I got work with different organizations across all of Europe I've been in Australia and Mental Wealth International very quickly I had to change the name because it's so relevant across the whole world Absolutely, it is. It's such a, a an important issue. And we'll talk about some of this stuff as we get into the interview. Yeah. I'm curious what the inspiration was for you to start the organization and to get into the mental health field in general for you. So I was very young. So when I left... I suppose I left school after what we call here the GCSE. So I was 16 and then I took a year or two out and then went back into college to social care and social work. And then you had to go out in a placement. And one of my placements was in a mental health, like day support. I don't want to call okay. it daycare. It was like a day support. Mm-hmm. And it was local in my area. I didn't know how to drive at the time. And it was local in my area. And when I walked into the room, Brad, I realized, I recognized nearly all of the people in that room and I was I remember I was 19 and I remember thinking oh my goodness these are people's mothers fathers aunties uncles brothers sisters cousins that are maintaining their well-being and their lifestyles within the community and need this additional support to maintain their well-being and I realized very quickly it's everybody and it's anybody that can be impacted by a mental health issue or a mental health illness. And it was in that realisation, after moving six or seven months, I kind of thought, you know, this is something I can do. I'm not sure if you call it a calling, but I could do it at my ease. I understood it. I, you know, 
seem to be able to piece things together and get people support if they needed or indeed support them myself there and then obviously as I gained the qualifications but it was the realization that it's within every community and the stigma that was associated to it and still is is quite bad and yet people can live very well in their communities and be dealing with a mental health issue at the same time it's just a matter of getting the right support. Right. And, you know, something else that a lot of us don't think about, I'm sure, is the fact that, you know, it doesn't just affect the people who are directly affected by it. It affects all of those people that are surrounding this particular person. If we're talking about one person in particular, that affects their friends, their family, everybody they come in contact with. So this is really a hugely widespread issue that we need to deal with we need to provide the support it is so important yeah i agree with you and sometimes what we were simply doing to be honest with you was providing respite for the family allowing people to de-stress or maintain their well-being at home so i feel and it's not always the case and it can't always happen but to allow people to maintain within their community what they know who they know to feel safe and secure is really important especially in mental health Absolutely. Now, with you being such a champion and advocate for mental wealth and mental health, why is this cause so personally important to you? I can't really pinpoint any one time, if I'm honest with you, except for that realization when I walked into that room, because I was 19. There Mm -hmm. might be things that I suppose nobody gets away without some adversity in their life and I've had my fair share in terms of I suppose I was a young mum and my daughter's dad then was killed on a motorbike so oh my gosh and you've got all the issues and there's a lot of things however I was already into mental health you know that didn't happen till I was maybe 23 I was already working in the mental health field but very much recognize it's everybody and anybody and not too many of us get through this thing we call life without some adversity that we find it hard to deal with so just being able to hold space for people seems to be something that I can do very well so I don't know if I can just really pinpoint something that made me I just really believe in it because I I understand that you know and people have been to dark places and you know just really understand things like that yeah. Now, as we mentioned, you've been working in the mental health field for a number of years now. And I'm very curious to know, have you seen throughout your career from when you first started to where you are now, a notable shift in mental health and bringing it to the forefront or getting more exposure for the issues of mental health and more support? There definitely is a notable, like, I mean, 20 years ago, to have anybody in the public eye talking about bipolar or severe depression or, you know, those really deep thoughts would not have happened. And the terminology has certainly changed. I do believe we're talking a lot more about it, and that definitely needs to be done. I wouldn't say enough is being done. Mm -hmm. I know certainly where I am from, I wouldn't think even the support is more i don't think on the ground there's any more support but there is pockets of new things coming up because even in mental health um, there can be trends and i know that sounds like a strange word to talk about you know but i mean 20 years ago we didn't necessarily well i certainly wasn't really on social media all that much and certainly you know so the issues change every now and again so the trends change so the same support that might have been for one thing 20 years ago it may have changed into something else now so while we are talking more about mental health and encouraging people to speak up there's not i don't say a huge significant increase in that's incredibly sad 
when yeah. you think about it, the fact that we have not advanced in 20 years mm-hmm. to where there's more support. And so this is a great segue into this next question where, and I'm sure, I won't say I'm sure, but I would think that you'll agree with me on this. The fact that mental health awareness is nowhere near where it should be and it doesn't get talked about enough. And in my opinion, it's still swept under the rug like it's a dirty secret. Yeah. Like, would you agree with that? And what is your opinion on that? Well, there's still such a stigma attached to it, mm-hmm. you know, and definitely people are encouraged to talk about it, but talking doesn't suit everybody. There's not one size fits all here as well. You know, we, we cope with things differently. It, there is still a stigma attached to it and we can brand it whatever way that we want to. People are still hiding the fact that a loved one has a mental health issue or they have a mental health issue because you don't want to be seen as weak. I think one of the strongest things that you can do, and it took me years before I even done it, was to show your vulnerability. Yeah. and ask for help the strength in that is unbelievable so the stigma that is associated to mental health because it's still as much as people are coming forward and talking about it there still are different outlets that portray it in a bad light or attach mental health issues to certain types of people and it's not helpful and even throwaway comments are not helpful i know i live in ireland but you would often hear about the english stiff upper lip and you just get on with it well that's not helpful and yeah, that's just absolutely. one thing. That's just the only thing that came into my head there, Brad. But there's loads, <laughs> there's loads of things like that in terms of, you know, it's not helpful because you never know what people are going through. Yeah. Well, that speaks to the conditioning, right? Like yeah. pull yourself up by your bootstraps and just get on with it. Like, don't worry about it. Just move on. It's okay. You're making a big deal out of nothing. All these different things that speaks to societal, parental, religious conditioning, all of these things, right? Yeah, absolutely. And at the most part, people are trying their best. People in general are out there trying their best. And I mean, we've got good days and we have bad days, but mental health issues and mental health illness are something different. So to be judging people based on things, like there's still a judgment. I know we're talking about stigma, but you're still judged sometimes for yeah, uh, yeah. for uh, you know needing time out or well being days off or you know it's great having policies but you really need them to be accessible and available without question for people as well and I'm not sure we're just there yet either yeah well that's where your organization comes in right mental wealth international yeah. because you go into the workplace yeah. and help to educate on mental health and mental wealth and yeah. how important it is which I think is just incredible work that you're doing because you know no matter where you are in the world it's going to affect you somebody every single person I believe in this world know somebody or has come in contact with somebody that is affected by mental health in some way, shape or form. And so the more we educate people about it, the better off everyone will be. Yeah. And the more, you know, even just in, and a lot of it comes down to cultural things a lot of it yeah. comes down to generational and i we're, we're you know we're definitely getting better but we're nowhere near where we need to be and terminology is a big thing to do around it and perception yeah. and you know how we deal with different things definitely has a lot to do with and workplace culture is huge because i know as we were chatting before i would do a lot of work in the construction industry is actually yes. one of our biggest clients and you, the culture there because it's a harsh environment at the best of times physically it's harsh it's demanding it's 
those 12 hour shifts a lot of the sites are very grey it's a very basic level you know maybe canteens and things like that there and to be able to go in and just throw it all on the floor and say right we need to have conversations with this let's start talking and you do get the divide you do get people are like look you just get on with it you get up you do your work you just get on with it and then you get all the people going no but I actually can't cope with this so you meet people where they're at some people you know some people I'm going to say men just for the sake of it like some men are quite happy to get up early in the morning go out on that physicality all day and they genuinely pass no remarks and just get on with it and the feel they're providing and that's great but you've got other people are like I can't do this yeah, this is absolutely. Impacting me. So you've got to just make sure that you're there for people where they're at. So one size, again, as I was saying, does not fit all. You know, you can't put yeah. it in the same box. Yeah. Well, as you said, right, there's that parental condition, how we're brought up. Oh, you just deal with it, right? You just move yeah. on. That's that's your parents telling you, pick your socks up and just carry on. And so that gets bred into the people and that's just how they live. And they're okay with that, but there are people who need the help. So with all that being said, how, in your opinion, do we start making bigger strides with this and bring more awareness to the issue? So one of the things that I believe in is well that we have to stop expecting people who are experiencing mental health difficulties issues or whatever to reach out all of the time sometimes we need to reach in sometimes we need to go back to creating that community culture and say to people are you all right without being afraid of what that answer is and I think we need to make that acceptable as well and some of the systems in place don't lend themselves very well for accessibility for support so I think we need to change our thinking around Mm -hmm. this that's a lot of things we need to be changing our thinking around this and that's why we go out into places to create the conditions to be able to talk to have posters on walls everywhere so that it becomes normal to know the phone number if you need to phone lifeline if you need to phone smartens or if you need to have a face-to-face talk with somebody we need more meaningful credible accessible support for people That's not necessarily downloaded on apps. Right. So how about the everyday Joe who doesn't work in the mental health or mental wealth field? How can they help? Is that just a matter of them reaching out to people that they know just to check in kind of thing? Yeah, because we have definitely lost, and that's a great book by Robert Putman, Bowling Alone, and it was wrote about American society, actually, and how we've kind of lost our sense of community and the ripple effect that, you know, everybody used to know everybody and you knew your neighbour and we'd have been out in the street and talking and sometimes that's not safe anymore. So it has went away a little bit. So even just being that kind neighbour, you know, it all starts at home understanding. And this is why we talk about mental health first aid as well, because it's hard to ask that question because you may not know what to do if somebody says, I am not well. I actually think I need help. So you don't need to have all the answers. You just need to not be dismissive and support people. So, listen. Yeah. Listen, we've lost it really, haven't we a bit? Oh, you know, I love that you brought up that point, Emma, about community, because that has been long lost. And we need to bring it back. It's so important. Like you said, you look around most communities and neighborhoods, people don't talk to their neighbors, people don't even know who the fuck their neighbors are. And I think that's horrible. Because when I think back to when I was a kid, my mom babysat kids. And so (laughs) the parents would drop the kids off, and we'd all spend time together. And we all knew each other. And I mean, that's also about 
helping people in your community when just using the babysitting as an example or, or minding the kids as an example, that helps those families out that, yes. hey, if I've got to run somewhere, the, the husband, because back in those days, it was the husband usually that was working and the woman stayed home to look after the kids, but typically, but it gives the families an opportunity to be able to go and do things. And I think that that trust has been lost where people don't feel safe leaving their kids with other people. And But this is where we have to spread out and get to know our neighbors so that you do have that support system because we are not meant to do this thing called life alone. We are not meant to do entrepreneurship alone. We are meant to do it in community. Community is the foundation for everything. And we need to get back to that. It's missing. It's, We've lost it. It's huge. I, I think that when I talk about mental health and, you know, what we really need to do to be supporting people, it's not rocket science. You know, we are human beings. We're emotional creatures. Life happens to us. We need support. Yeah. There and then in the moment. So whether it's a neighbor, whether it's someone at work, whether it's someone, if you're going to the gym to improve your, you know, I used to go to the gym like three and four times a week. And it really was more for me mental health and well-being it kept me strong in my mind as much as it did maintaining you know my physical well-being so even that sense of community as human beings we need that sense of belonging to something absolutely and you know i think that part of the problem as well is and speaking to your point where you have people just asking how you're doing and actually listening is that we have become a society where we're so focused on doing, 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 going, going, going. We don't take the time to slow down. And, you know, it brings to mind, you walk down the street, you hear people talking, they'll walk by someone, hey, how you doing? And it makes me think, do you really give a shit how I'm doing? Or are you just asking because you were just conditioned that that's what you say to people? You know what I mean? You don't really care. And like you said, do you have the self-awareness that if someone says to you, you know what, I'm having a rough day, are you really going to be that person to sit and listen? Or again, were you just saying that just because you were taught that that's what you say to somebody when you meet them or connect with them, right? Are you really going to sit and listen? And that's what we need. Yeah. And the chances are they're just saying, how are you, as a throwaway comment. Yeah. But I think everything's changed, society's changed, that maybe doesn't allow us the time to stop. You know, there's a lot of different factors to that there. But we need to normalize if somebody was walking to work one month. I'm only using this as a for instance. And they did say, how are you doing? And someone says, you know, I'm not good whatever that if you're 15 or 20 minutes or half an hour late it's valuable enough to say look i had to help someone out there they're in a bad place you know that yeah you know take the hand or be funny about it that you know it wouldn't happen very often but that it would be acceptable to stop for 10 or 15 minutes with someone we've definitely we're so busy but you know what emma i think that change and that shift starts with us we need to start that and it needs to start at your basic grassroots community level because then it just spills out to the others that you surround yourself with so i think the change needs to start with us we need to start shifting that and shifting away from the busy bullshit yeah and having those conversations even with our children now you know yeah checking in and your well-being and normalize 
talking about you know it's so funny here here in our local Gaelic club we were running different talks and my son who's he's actually 16 tomorrow but my 15 year old son I do bring him with me and everybody's going how do you get him to go and I was like this is normal in our house we want (laughs) we want to hear about these things whether yeah no it's it's mental health or addictions or a psychotherapist is doing a talk on culture changes bring your children with you make it acceptable that they are especially teenagers that they are part of the conversation part of the solution if that's where the issue is and that speaks massively to who you are as a parent as a woman and and a human being and someone who advocates for mental health so you're right we need to involve our teens if we have them and our younger kids what's wrong with having those conversations we need to normalize it the kids need to know that it's okay to talk about it because if we raise our children to know that it's okay to talk about this stuff in the home. They just grow up knowing no different. And so it's just commonplace for them. So that's where it needs to start is with us and at home for sure. What do you think then is the biggest roadblock or hurdle that's preventing us from shining a brighter light onto the mental health issue and getting more assistance and awareness then? Oh gosh, there'd be a lot of things. <laughs> okay, one of, so one of. A, there's, there's so many factors. I mean, getting the right support at the right time for some organizations might be a monetary thing. And mm-hmm. some of them might be the culture, their belief, as we spoke about earlier on, you just get on with it. Some of them might be not recognizing that people have become unwell unless you work in mental health you may not spot the signs terribly quickly you know like somebody that maybe just has got a wee bit quieter of themselves or started to disengage or you notice a change in their appearance you know it can be subtle little things as well so again some of the roadblocks can be down to attitudes and beliefs as well and just it mental health definitely is being talked about but I'm not convinced it's being talked about in the right way I'm not convinced it's solution focused and I don't feel it's straight talking either you know when I talk about mental health I'm talking about mental health I'm talking about the issues I'm talking about like getting into the conversation like deep into it right yeah, that's what we're talking about. So, I mean, some of the blocks are, I suppose, maybe misinformation, not enough information and belief systems around it. And again, cultures change, societies change, and people are not, I talk about holding space for each other. We're not holding space for each other anymore. Right, we were. right. I was having a conversation with someone about these types of things a few weeks back, and we, we were talking about it, and she brought up a point that, Also on the flip side of things where school counselors are diagnosing kids and saying that this child is depressed or this because they're sad for a couple of days, just because someone's sad for a couple of days does not mean they're depressed. And so immediately they get sent off to the doctor, the GP and okay, let's get them on. Let's get them on this drug. Let's get these, let's get this drug into them. And, and you're creating zombies. Then you're, you're not addressing the problem and drugs is not the way to fix it. So there's that other side of it. It's a very fine line, right? Well, it's actually huge. And definitely, I agree with what you're saying. If you send someone to the GP, you're sending them to a medical person. That is how they are trained. They are trained to give you medication to deal with any issue. So that's what you're going to get. I think there actually are a lot of alternatives out there, like tapping therapy, breath work, like, you know, gratitude, journaling. Like years ago, people journaled. We kept diaries. People yeah. journaled. And see the significance in that. And I'm going to call it a brain dump. Getting out of your head what's been annoying you or whatever onto a piece of paper. Don't ever underestimate the small things in life because they have huge impact on our well-being. So, so 
much. So, but can I just mention this as well? Yeah. One of my realizations throughout my years, and I've mentioned this a couple of times, of managing mental health services, and I'll never forget it, was a lady who came in. So when you were referred to me, you've been to your GP, you've been to the community mental health team, you've got yourself a key worker, then you've been referred to me, and then the referral comes in, and I organize a visit, and then we see if we're a fit. So there's a whole process, a lot of red tape, which isn't helpful. So this lady came in, and she had lost a family member two years previous. So it had taken her two years to get to the length of where I was sitting with her, just in a room. We were probably having tea, a conversation, see if it was the service the right fit. And she had said, you know, I could tell by the referral form, it was on a piece of paper, you know, she'd lost a loved one and then obviously was impacted by it and was feeling grief. So grief is what was wrong with that lady. And that's the support she needed. But instead of that, she got referred to the GP, as you said, it's quite funny you said, (laughs) who diagnosed with depression. So she was then on a two-year waiting list. She lost her job and her marriage then failed within those two years of awaiting support from us. However, it was grief she was feeling. Unbelievable. So all of that loss. And I mean, grief doesn't just speak to personal loss of a loved one. She lost her job. She lost her merit. That's fucking huge. That is a lot for one person to deal with because of a misdiagnosis. Well, a misdiagnosis or just put her down that path. Obviously, you're depressed because of the loved one. You know, but my argument there is, Brad, it didn't have to be that way. If the support, like I'm saying to a first responder, somebody there in that initial had said to that woman, of course you're feeling like this. You've just lost a loved one. It's perfectly mm-hmm. natural. Let's get you some support. Grief support. Yeah, yes. exactly. Not put it, her on a two-year cycle of whatever it was. And everything then fell apart. So there you go. Then by the end of those two years, of course that lady's feeling depressed. Because yeah. all of that has happened in between. And that's a real big, I suppose I'm going, I could have probably answered that way back. No, that's time. okay. No, no, no. I but love this. This is a great conversation. The, yeah, that was one of those moments in my head. And I was thinking, this should not be like this. Yeah. That's that's, horrible that this poor woman mm -hmm. had to go through two years of that shit. Yeah, Yeah. on a waiting list. And then when it it could have been solved a hell of a lot easier by getting her some grief counseling. Yeah, but she was thinking there's something wrong with me. So there was nothing wrong with the lady. She was grieving. And the same way as you're saying about them young people, you can have a sad day. You can have a sad week. It doesn't have to ripple into it. But I mean, it's about recognizing it and understanding it and trying to get people to explain feelings. You know, it's so important in mental health to name your feeling, recognize the feeling. So without diagnosing yourself, oh, I feel sad today. I'm not quite sure why. I wonder what it is. I might just be a little bit off call it out yeah yeah speak it speak it absolutely whether it's to yourself or you write it down or speak it to someone else call it out recognize it don't let everything build up recognize it you know so talk about the emotion yeah exactly as opposed to diagnosing yourself with something just the emotion i'm feeling sad i'm feeling a little bit anxious you know yeah it's okay to feel sad there's nothing wrong with that it's okay to feel those feelings but again that doesn't mean that you're depressed and you need to be on medication and that's that's the other side of the problem right is it goes too far and then we've create a world of zombies walking around these kids are walking around on drugs and they're all zombified and that's not productivity either. That's not productive. That's not helping these kids. 
It's, it's, you see, it's so complex because yeah. people do have mental health issues, very yes. valuable mental health issues. People yep. have mental health illnesses. And then we also have emotions and trials and tribulations in life. So it's about making sure you're naming it, that you're understanding it and you've got the right support around you to, to deal with it. I love it. Thank you for sharing that, Emma. I think that's incredibly important. Oh, yeah. So thank you. Now, I want to go off on a bit of a different topic now. <laughs> As mentioned off the top, you're an ambassador for Evolve Women. Can you tell us about Evolve Women and what your role is as an ambassador and how this whole thing came to be, how you got involved? Oh, yeah. So as I mentioned before, you know, about my three pillars. So one of them being, I have three pillars that I go by. One of them is mental health. The other one is females and female empowerment and supporting each other. And then the other one is mentoring and masterminds and TED Talks and things like that. So there is an organization here in Ireland and it's called Evolve Women. And it is about supporting women, whether you're in leadership, whether you've your own business or you're working for someone else, just empowering women to step up and be themselves. So it is an organization that runs events. It also runs programs for women mm-hmm. to get confident, to network with other women and really understand who they are and what leadership, female leadership really means and whatever genre they choose to. So there was a book then wrote called Evolve Voices of Leadership and it was really to shine a spotlight on female leaders across the world. So I wrote a chapter in that as well. There were some of the ambassadors that wrote a chapter on that and it really was about empowering women to be women of power. I love it. That's the whole idea. So to empower women to step up into their power because quite often as women we don't and again that can be cultural that can be maybe just from a bad experience or just our personality as to who we are so just finding who you are as a woman and stepping into your power whatever that looks like for you beautiful and so how long have you been an ambassador how long have you been involved and um, three years okay so three years as an ambassador so obviously i do quite a bit of, i'm fortunate i'm going to say it to do quite a bit of networking and, yeah. and be in the company of lots of other females as well and then really just through conversation if something comes up and someone says you know i'd really like support to this or i would really love to do that but i don't think i can and um, mm-hmm. as an ambassador for evolve i would talk to them about that and then maybe signpost them into either one of the programs or make them aware of one of our events that is coming up it's ran by an amazing amazing lady believe it or not who's local to me but she's a global trailblazer Maureen Mackle her name is and mm, um, okay. she's an amazing lady and she founded this but based on understanding the barriers that yeah. are for women and there can be so many and yet we can break them together we can break them like you do on the podcast giving the voice holding space and just yeah. reaching out because we learn from each other and evolve that's right that as well Sounds like an incredible organization. Oh, it is. It definitely is part of it. <laughs> Powerhouse kick-ass women. I love it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about your journey into the world of being a TEDx speaker. Now, that's a dream for a lot of people out there. So was this a bucket list item for you? <laughs> oh, gosh. I'm just going to give you the honest answer here. Um, yeah. No, it wasn't. <laughs> Now, I adore TED Talks and I've always listened to TED Talks and I actually was mentored years ago by a lady. I says, you know, I want to go back into education. I want to really add to my resume. And she says, look, Emma, you have enough. You are doing enough. Listen to TED Talks 
and podcasts and Audible. And that was the advice she gave me years ago. So that's what I did. I started learning from TED Talks, podcasts and Audible. And this was a beautiful woman, Joanne McDowell, her name was. And I remember like we were just sitting talking because she was my mentor and then I wrote a book then and whenever I wrote the book I was actually approached by a TEDx curator and asked would I do a TED talk on IVF which is what my book's about wow (laughs) so you were asked to speak (laughs) that's how that happened yes incredible (laughs) incredible I've watched that talk and that talk is powerful Yes. Now, as you have done that talk, not just one, but two. Yes, I don't. And your first one, as you mentioned, was IVF, what's love got to do with it? Yeah. And the second was to was to find riches, invest in your mental wealth. Can you share a little bit about your talks? Yeah. So the IVF talk that I was asked to do was based obviously on me writing a book. So I wrote a book about a journey that I embarked on for my last child, which was IVF. So I endured three years of IVF treatment and I felt it's not the emotional side of it isn't really spoke about an awful lot. I didn't tell anybody whenever I was going through it. And now I've done a TED talk and wrote a book about it. But again, <laughs> you'll find a theme happening here. The stigma attached to it. Nobody's really talking about it. And I just felt the enormity of the issue is absolutely huge. And again, nobody's talking about this. It's, you know, some people are judged. People assume it's the woman. People assume it's the man. It's, you know, there's so many particulars to it. So when I wrote the book about IVF, I was approached and asked because here in Ireland, I think there was one other talk ever on IVF. And wow. it was maybe even done in the space between I was asked and I delivered the talk. So there may have even been no IVF talks when I was asked initially. And I really just wanted to explain to people, there was a couple of different messages in it. It was be kind to everyone you meet because you never know what anybody's going through. Because when I went through IVF, I think people could pick up that I was maybe feeling a wee bit vulnerable. I just wasn't at myself. And some things just didn't go well that maybe if I had been on tip top form might not have happened. So I was very aware of that. And also tell people like we didn't tell anybody. And Mm -hmm. I often ponder the fact, had we not have been eventually successful, we weren't successful straight away, would I ever have told it? I didn't tell anybody until my daughter was six months old, something like that. Wow. Yeah. So it was very much, I felt I I, I need to get people to talk about IVF. And when that TED talk went out, like the messages I got from people I knew and from people across the world that I didn't know, just saying, I have now told my family now because I've listened to your talk, you know, and things like that. Incredible. Yeah. You know, I didn't really, I hadn't anticipated all that, but it was a very emotional talk to write and it done me great. So then, as you mentioned, then the second one's on mental wealth. And again, that is me trying to get it. So because I changed to, to mental wealth, people again were intrigued by the title and what I meant yeah. by mental wealth. So my second talk really is talking about it's what you do in your daily routine. It's the resilience that you build and pack in and pack in. So when life does throw you a curveball or you're about to hit the wall, that you have built up tools and, you know, strategies in your daily routine that allows you to deal with the stuff that life throws at you instead of starting from scratch. You've already built up this mental wealth, so to speak, in your bank of wellness that's (laughs) going to allow you to deal with stress or grief or situations, hopefully in an easier way than if you weren't doing anything for yourself on a daily basis. I love it. So for those who are listening, both of Emma's talks, the links will be in the show notes so you can check them out. I highly recommend you check them both out. They're powerful. Oh, lovely. 
Now, you're also a TEDx curator for TEDx at Eskilin. Can you share with us what that entails and how that opportunity came for you and when that happened? Yeah. So again, something that I am quite good at is when I see a gap or a space for something, and if it's within my capabilities, I will fill it or support people to achieve it. So after I done my TED Talks, a lot of people were, you know, saying, how did you get the TED Talk? Is it a hard process? You know, how did you get it in under the 18 minutes? Because it's all about an idea worth spreading. It's not about your story. It's not about you. It's about who you can serve with your idea worth spreading. You really have to drill into that and, you know, bring that message across. That's the whole idea of TED. So I live in Ireland, obviously, in a beautiful small county in Fermanagh. It's the only island town in Ireland. So we're completely surrounded by water. Now, we don't live on an island as such, but it's an island town. <laughs> yeah. And I remember thinking, I could bring this opportunity to my local community. How amazing would that be? And it really just started from there. I contacted Ted. I got involved in the process. It's quite grueling. It's not an easy thing to get a TEDx license. Um, mm-hmm. And it takes some time and it's certainly no easy feat organize. And then a TED Talk, because obviously TEDx is so prestigious, it's such a high standard. You yeah. have to make sure that you understand all the guidelines and all the rules. But it really just came from me thinking, why would I not try and bring this locally and create these opportunities? Whether it was people from my area that wanted to speak or just to have the TEDx on a stage here locally to show people you know this can be done we can bring global you know stages to locally I love it yeah. <laughs> so how long have you now been a, a curator so I've done two I done okay. TEDx and then I done TEDx women as well so the okay. the aim is there will be another one then towards the end of this year and so how often are the events held or do you do you foresee these happening like how often do you foresee them happening once a year once yeah, a year okay. to be honest with you there are there are so many different types of licenses there isn't just one you can just do TEDx or you can do TEDx women and there's studio licenses and there's all different licenses but uh, I believe one a year is, yeah is enough to support the local community to get the idea worth spreading you know out there the right people speaking and to just really hold that a prestigious TEDx as a curator, do you choose the, the theme? Because I know that TEDx yes. talks have a theme. So as the curator, you will choose the theme for each of those talks. Yes, I do. Yeah. So I would choose the, the theme. I'd obviously, I, there's a team then. I get a team together. Um, yeah. So like when I do my first TED talk, the theme was Be the Change. Okay. You know, so, and, and that's really what you go on. It's about what's relevant in the world as well and, and what you feel is important to you. Now, TEDx, they have to obviously okay that. Right. They have they, to sign off on it or they approve have to your sign theme, off on right? It and, you know, make sure that it's all done, you know, proper and it's working yeah. all right for them. But yeah. um, you work closely with you. Okay. Okay. But yeah, there's lots of different elements to it. It's a really good thing to do. It's really good to get the community involved in it as well. I love it. Now, you briefly touched on the fact that you are an international best-selling author. Can you tell us a little bit? I know you mentioned the book. Can you tell us a bit more about it, the title, all that stuff? Yeah. So my book is called The Blue Lane. And the reason why it's called The Blue Lane is because when you're going through fertility treatment, that one blue lane, well, all pregnancy tests are different, but the one I was doing, the one blue lane was the heartbreaking one. You wanted two blue lanes. Right. Um, so it was called The Blue Lane because everybody's journey is so different. The book that I wrote, I wrote it 
it's a hundred percent our story in the book. However, the characters are fiction. You know, they're not real people. They're people I made up in my head, and yeah, you know, the names are all different. And saying that we went away off on holidays and we like to enjoy pizza and all that's not that's <laughs> really the way it was. I just I needed to write the book in a different sense, but the actual journey in terms of the treatment, how often we went for it, the injections we used you know, embryo transfer, all that, all that is 100% my story. But I just used fictional characters. I don't know. It just, I was able to write it better that way. And how long ago did you write it? And how long ago did it come out? I launched it in August. I'm going August 2020. It was lockdown. So I launched it in my house online. (laughs) Yeah. And then I co-wrote another book called The Wealthy Mindset. And that's with my sister, Karen. My sister, Karen's publisher. So Karen is a law of attraction practitioner. So we kind of amalgamated the two together. So the wealthy mindset, so whore being the mindset and what you can attract and mine being mental wealth. And we put the two of them together as well. So it worked. But see, writing that book, I started it and then I put it away for nine months and I wouldn't look at it. Because it probably triggered me. I think I got to the first failed attempt of IVF and then I just put it away and yeah. just I'm not doing this I'm not writing it and then lockdown happened and I cleared a space now I live in quite a big house so I could have sat in any room and wrote this book but I cleared a space under my stairs believe it or not I was like Harry <laughs> Potter I was under my stairs and I could have wrote it any book but it must have been the energy or the center of the house or what it is I do not know and I wrote I sat under my stairs and finished the book in a week. Wow, a it week. Just poured out of me. It just poured out of me. So I might have had half of it written and yeah. then stopped. I put it away for nine months. I never looked at it. I just thought, no, I can't do it. And then all that madness happened and I cleared a space under my stairs, which I attribute to a lady called Sharon McNulty. And that's what she does. She helps people declutter the houses and it decluttered my brain enough that I just finished the book all in one day. <laughs> that's awesome. I love it. <laughs> was writing something that was always part of your life? No, I would have always been the person in the house that wrote poems. I wrote poems about everything for people's birthdays, for their weddings. But writing writing has always been part of who you are. I mean, whether it's poetry or stories, you've always written though. I've always written something, but yeah. it was certainly not something. <laughs> but it was really good because it's, it was nearly like a healing process, like therapy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Out of the book. It's good therapy, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Emma, what do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful? I'm quite an enthusiastic person. That seems to draw, I'm, uh, you know, authentically enthusiastic. I, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, if something lights me up, it'll be, it'll just kind of shines out of me. I have that sort of energy around me. My skill set is I'm quite good at being organized as well. And delegation is key <laughs> to success. Right. right. <laughs> and so how do you define the word success? What does that word mean to you? Success to me means building a life where I have freedom and choices. What would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before learning it? And what was your life like after you learned it? Just try to show up and try what's the worst thing that's going to happen. So getting out of my own head is definitely one of the things that I think has helped me an awful lot. Just get out of your own head. If it feels right, go with my intuition. A little bit more. Mm-hmm. I probably blocked that for years. Um, yeah. Go with your intuition and you're either going to win or you're going to learn. Who in your life would you say has had the biggest impact on you and why? My daughter, Chloe. So I had Chloe when I was 17. Okay. And she 
definitely helped me to really drive forward to build that better life for us. And I mean, she's doing absolutely amazing now, but she definitely, that was one person. There's loads of people, but she definitely changed me a lot and for, uh, for, for good. So that yeah. she, she's had the biggest impact. <laughs> what does the word empowerment mean to you? Freedom to be yourself and finding the courage to do it. Mm, I love that. Okay, we're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping of questions should just be two, three, four word answer type thing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. How would you describe yourself in one word? Authentic. If you could be remembered for one thing, what would it be? My genuine enthusiasm for life. If you could teach the world one thing, what would that be? To support each other. It's huge. What is your favorite self-care practice? Meditation. What's one thing you want but cannot buy with money? Oh, gosh. (laughs) I love this. I love this. (laughs) What's the one thing I want? Gosh, I I don't know how to answer that. Quality for all. Is that a good answer? Sure. That's whatever you feel (laughs) is a good answer. That's just what's coming in my head. I don't know. All right. Well, then we'll go with that. What never fails to make you laugh? (laughs) People doing things unbeknownst to themselves. (laughs) It's just silly (laughs) stuff. I'm always laughing. It's terrible. (laughs) And that concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. Emma, what challenge in your life has shaped you the most? I've had, yeah, I've had a few challenges in my life, but definitely I want to come back and say becoming a young mum and realising the grit and the courage and determination that I had that I may not have ever needed to use, only that the challenges that came my way with the stigma that was attached to getting pregnant so young, especially living here, small communities, the barriers that that created, the judgment that was caused. And I just, I really feel that I overcame it all. And, you know, I am a better person for it. Well, look at all the beauty that you're putting out into the world. I mean, you have overcome that adversity and I'm sure it was one hell of a struggle and constant. So you should be very proud of what you've overcome and how you've come out the other side and where you are now. I hope that you celebrate yourself and take that time to look back and celebrate and are very proud of what you've accomplished. Yeah, it's good. Like, I wouldn't even say being a young mom wasn't challenging. People's response to it was the challenge. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. definitely. And I mean, and, you know, my mom would often say to me, Emma, you just have this lovely gift. And other people say that I never want what other people have. And really, your opinion of me is, you know, it's really none of my business. But I learned that at 17. That's a big lesson to learn for a 17. Yeah, (laughs) for a 17-year-old. That's huge. I mean, there are adults of 40 and 50 who don't even know that lesson yet. So I think that's huge. Yeah. What's something surprising you've learned about yourself in the last year? I have a lot of courage. And you may think, how are you saying that that surprised you? But it it has, you know, to leave that amazing job for all those years and go out on my own because, you know, there was something bigger than me to go and support people in a different way because I felt there was that need. I definitely, um, I suppose my star sign is a Leo, but I have a lot of courage. What aspect of your personality do you think has been most helpful in your career? What aspect? 
of my personality. Well, I suppose I'm genuine. If you will know if you know, I have the ability to say a no to something that I think that isn't aligned. So if I am showing up for something, whether it's female empowerment, mental health, uh, mentoring, or whatever, I'm showing up all of me because right. I have the ability to to know what's aligned, and I do it with full enthusiasm as well and also business doesn't have to be serious all of the time you're allowed to bring your personality into it you're allowed to show the other side of yourself joy is just one of the most beautiful things you can bring into any situation so whether that's my career or work or whatever I mean I love that thank you for pointing that out that's very important because we take life so many people take life too fucking serious just relax and have fun with it. We're only here for a short time. So have as much fun as you possibly can. A hundred percent. And whether that's in your personal life, your professional life, your career, whatever it is, it's an important part of it. Absolutely. And that, I think that is an important part of mental wealth and mental health is being able to have that fun and being able to laugh and laugh at yourself. (laughs) Now that's something I've only learned later in life. (laughs) But yes, I now have the ability to, I actually had this conversation earlier on today with a lady and I was saying, you know, I call myself out on my own bullshit. You know, I will like just laugh at myself and go, Emma, what were you thinking? Or what were you at? Or how ridiculous were you when you got on? It's so important. It is for sure. Absolutely. (laughs) If you had the opportunity to, to sit down and have a one-hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why? Oh, does it have to be alive? No. I am fascinated with Amelia Earhart. I think mm-hmm. her story is unreal. Her tenacity and her grit and she didn't let the naysayers get into her head like so many people do. And like she ultimately lost the Vegas fight. But I would a conversation with her would be very welcoming. <laughs> Love it. If you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? Just be comfortable in your own skin and accept yourself instead of, you know, don't take it all on. I think that's really important because I probably wasn't. You know, I learned my lessons very early on. You know, you can survive the hardest days, but it's more important that at the end of the day that you can sit with yourself in solitude and accept who you are for all that you are. Beautifully said. Lastly, Emma, if you were to deliver your last 30 second speech to the world, your corner of the world, your tribe, your people... What would that last 30 seconds sound like? What words of wisdom would you impart? There's something that I have started saying lately, and I believe people need to hear it and need to take it on, and it is believe in all that you are to become all that you can be. Wow, that is powerful that and is beautiful. Deep. And it's just something I read, I thought about it for a while, and I thought you need to truly have the courage or belief in yourself, whether it's a small bit of belief or a big bit of belief, to be all that you are. Yeah, you have to. You owe it to the world to be who you authentically are. And we all owe that to the world to be who we truly and authentically are and to share our gifts with the world because we're all here with a gift or gifts that need to be shared. It's our responsibility to share those with the world, to help better the world by sharing those gifts. But I don't think people believe that. And that's why I say believe in all that you are to become all that you can be. Whatever that is, it is enough. Beautiful. I love it. Emma, thank you so much. This has been such an incredibly beautiful and inspirational conversation. Thank you for sharing all of your knowledge and wisdom and viewpoints 
around all the topics we discussed today. You are a bright, beautiful light shining out into the world through all the work that you do and all that you are. So thank you. I am honored to have had this opportunity to sit down and speak with you and to have you as a member of the Empowerography community. Oh, I appreciate you, Brad, and holding space for me and all those other women. Your star. <laughs> Thank you so much, Emma. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Emma Weaver. She is the founder and owner of Mental Wealth International. She's an international best-selling author, an ambassador for Evolve Women, a two-times TEDx speaker, also a TEDx and a skill and curator, and last but certainly not least, a mother. Emma, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate you. I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. Thank you very much. You too. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca and follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.